The Inside Learning Podcast is brought to you by the Learnovate Center. Learnovate's research explores the power of learning to unlock human potential. Find out more about Learnovate's research on the science of learning and the future of work at learnovatecenter.org. Imagine the scene. A student's experience of learning is an active journey. Students generate original, creative thinking with each other, and the teacher serves as a facilitator and listener inverting the flow of information between the industrial and digital classroom. Teachers work the way a director or producer might work when working with talent rather than an expert lecturer or business manager. The goal is to learn how their students think rather than demand that the students learn how they think. That is a thought provoked by our guest for this episode and reminds me of a guiding quote that is so important for education as both an educator and as a long life and lifelong learner. The Greek philosopher Plutarch once said, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be kindled. Welcome to the second season of the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College Dublin. I am your host, Aidan McCullen, and it is a pleasure to welcome the author of Education in the Digital Age, How We Get There, Nadav Zamer. Welcome to the show. Aiden, such a pleasure to be here, man. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. And I, as you know well, really enjoyed your book. You provoked so many thoughts. You were like my own Plutarch kindling thoughts all over the place for me. So for that, I'm very grateful. Well, re- resonating, I think, because we think in very similar ways. Absolutely. And I want to get straight into it because you remind us in the book as Sugata Mitra, the winner of the 2013 TED Prize so eloquently outlined at the start of his talk, our schools are in no way broken. They are wonderfully constructed to serve a function that we just don't need anymore. And in your book, you say the industrial model of education, like industrial business practice, is a push model. Instructors push information to the students, usually from a district or state-mandated protocol with standardized tests serving as the measure of progress. In contrast, you tell us, the digital model is a pull model, where students learn to be creators of content rather than consumers of content. Teachers give feedback and demand revision to ensure that the work produced represents content-specific skills what you call doing learning rather than verification of content transmission, having learned at all. I thought that was a great way to link it both to the Plutarch quote, but also to unpack this because this is a core theme of your work, both as a principal in the past, but also in your current projects. Let me just take you right down to it. So we're we're building an app, but here's the basic of that inversion that you're talking about. It's an inversion that's happening in business, but in education, what an inverted credit looks like on our platform. So usually in a classroom, you cram for the test at the end, and then you find out if you passed or not with the final exam. We flip that on its head. To get one of our credits, what we, we say that we have students put the stake back in high stakes. We put the high stakes exam at the front of learning to start the learning journey. 
students have to stay content. They have to study something and they have to come on our platform and say, here are the books I read, here are the articles I researched, and then here's my proposal for a short video, a 10-minute video or podcast to dive deep into this topic. Only when they put skin in the game, right? Only when they pull and they show their pulling does the learning begin. That's where it begins. Where our industrial system ends at the final exam is where we start. And because of standardized tests, what they would they would set all these standards that had skills in them, but they'd only evaluate the content of correct answers because that's what's easy to evaluate on multiple choice tests. But in this day and age, right answers, questions with simple yes or no right answers are not very useful because AI can handle them. What we're interested in is human beings can deal with not complicatedness, but complexity, which means situations that don't have a right answer, but that you have a student make an argument and think critically. And so what we're having them do is learn the content up front. And then they get into the experiential student-centered learning where they're answering questions that they're asking, not the teacher's asking. And then they're explaining and producing media to um, to share what they've learned. Because we know that when you share, when you teach others, is when you really integrate your own learning. So that's kind of an overview of the inverted credit model that we're advocating for. And that what happens is instead of standardized testing... We're going to have an evaluation system based on performance-based assessment, which is actually much more ancient than standardized testing. We're going back to more ancient transmission of knowledge the way we used to do when we told stories and shared orally. So it's a inversion of something new, but it's really a renaissance of coming back to the way human beings have always learned best when we weren't being programmed to be robots or to do what we're told for factory work. I love what you do here. You talk about education, but also the business paradigm changing. And inversion is core to this. And you tell us about the authors of the book called The Inversion Factor, who summarize inversion as a paradigm in which a business's mission and core competence are defined needs rather than product first. This is a process in which responding to the needs of an individual user in near real time gives market advantage instead of relying on marketing to sell a product in quantity that users never asked for, funded by investors who require a return on their investment at any cost. In the inverted model, the end users are also the investors. And as we will see, they become the designers and workers with a fully inverted platform. So this goes to the idea of co-creation with the actual buyer of the product, where the buyer is not only just a buyer, but almost like an investor. And by that investment in the product, they're going to be way more committed to that product. We we basically created a machine to convert student sweat equity. That's their investment. They don't have money to invest. They're investing their time and attention to produce high quality youth media. So they invest in the platform. And then that investment, each approved segment of academic media becomes a unit of measurement of academic capital, right? So it's our students are the are you know it's a it's an educational platform where the students are the seed investors they're the angel investors they're the ones taking the risk early on to create the first videos and podcasts on our platform and so what we're having them do is they put skin in the game they invest and they then get coached to produce the video rather than the other way around where you know in the industrial model where it it comes you know it's poured into them and then we measure what comes out here the students are putting something at stake taking their time that where they were putting their attention at stake Right. And then 
once they've shown they've done that and they they're pulling the credit, then they uh, invest the time and get the coaching uh, to complete the credit. Um, so we're and and in the terms of I'm a I'm a high school principal and a educator, so I'm always thinking of what does this look like on the ground day to day in the classroom, and the the change is really a change from the standards the way we've known them to focus on the skills that we're building because real learning happens in practice, like going to the gym. It's like building a muscle. It's not some complicated abstract thing that you feel lost about, right? It's a practice of skills that lets you then apply those skills to a set of content. Um, so, you know, so what you shared in the um, in the business world is really happening and has happened to all industries, but it hasn't come to education yet. And now the educational classroom is starting to invert where students pull the content rather than teachers pushing it into them. So you say furthermore that digitally relevant schools will allow students to discover how investments of the resources that are their birthright energy and time and attitude, for example, can produce returns that run deeper than the returns gained from financial advantage alone. And this is really important as well, because we really teach children that the measure of success or the metrics of success is how much you earn or what car you drive. Even if we don't do that overtly, we do that with social programming. And yeah. one of the things that you talk about is that is not going to be fit for purpose, as we know, because most people who do make it to a point of financial abundance realize that actually the finance isn't fulfilling. It comes from life itself. And you're saying, let's do this on the fly before they get there, before they climb to the top of the ladder and realize the ladder is against the wrong wall. Right. And so you know, right now, if you don't go to the right elementary school to go to the right middle school, you don't get into the right high school that has a transcript that people recognize, and then you don't have a chance to get into the good universities or the good jobs, right? So really, at five years old, if you're not on track, you're doomed. And what we're saying is anybody at the end of their K-12 journey in their last two years of K-12 through education um, should be able to demonstrate their academic abilities at that point, and there should be an equal playing field for everybody to um, you know, to, to come at it. We shouldn't be filtering based on, if, you know, whether what family you were born into. We should be looking based on how, what kind of academic skills you can demonstrate. Um, and it's really how human beings learn. It's how the baby learns to walk, right? And it's that dopamine opioid cycle in our brain that gets triggered. Um, I watched, I was, I, I work at a WeWork and the, one of the cleaning ladies, um, Kanice was uh, trying to deal with a coffee machine because the coffee beans weren't going into the grinder, right? And so she's looking at it and for 15 minutes, she's touching things, pushing on things and trying and still no coffee beans still. And then I was there. I happened to be walking by in the moment where she figured it out and you could see her get high off that. You could see the excitement like, ah, I got it. Right. And it was, it was this moment that, and it's, and it's the same thing you see a kid when they're learning how to walk. I have a, um, a little baby I care for who just learned how to walk and you can see the first steps and you, they get this buzz, they get this high and that experience of learning as a, as a, as a source of joy, as a source of, you know, this high that people take opio, you know, they take heroin to get, um, we lost in our public schools because we needed to train, um, robots to work in factories where we didn't much want them to learn new things. We wanted them to do what they're told. And so now for the first time, we can introduce, reintroduce into our schools that process where your fast brain, you know, the, the, the system one that does the intuitive guessing fast that does most of the processing can link to your deeper brain, that slower brain that does the analysis and the thinking, and they can go back and forth. It's that self-awareness process that happens in learning where you try something, you get feedback, you step back, you try it, right? It's that skills-based learning that really 
the brain is developed to reward us for. And so it's a matter of bringing these ancient ways of learning back into the classroom so students can't help but learn because it's an expression of their joy, of their curiosity, of their humanity, rather than the artificial way that we've been learning um, where somebody at the front of the room pours information into you and tells you this is right, that's wrong. You mentioned there the word attention. And also, if you think about that cleaning lady, that she learned by doing, and as a result, she got that real dopamine hit. And, and I often think about this when somebody opens a new iPhone. So you know that experience of unboxing, yeah. which Apple, yeah. trillion dollar company, focused so heavily on. And one of the reasons they did that was so people figure out that, oh, hey, I can do this. And almost all the design of the box is designed so, oh, I take this and I plug this in here and I plug this in here. And straight away, the experience is positive. And they really worked hard on that. Now, I say that to say, if we look at our children, and particularly children who play games like Fortnite, they are designed, those games are designed in the same way. So they have AI in them that knows that's Nadav and that's Aiden, and they're separate types of players. Aiden's a bit slower. He needs a few more dopamine hits to keep him engaged in the game. So the game's somewhat easier for me, but it's tailored for me. And I say all that to say, this is core to education of the future. Because when we understand those things, we can design education in the same way. One, let the kids figure it out for themselves, but to design it that way. And that's absolutely core to everything you talk about. Right, redesign it. It's going back to how we used to do it, right? With farming or anything that we did, um, we that we learn naturally. Yeah, so it's going back to our natural ways of learning and putting an end to a relatively new system of learning that's the industrial system that was necessary. We, you know, we needed to learn the three R's. We needed to kind of that content-based shallow learning that was required for to have people work in cubicles and be, you know, administrators and be clerks. It was necessary. The industrial age was a fabulously successful age in many ways, and it brought many things. Uh, it just now, in this day and age, that no longer helps us, it hurts us. Because if you can, if you think the way you're told to think, you're easily categorized and manipulated and so it's in it and really what you started with it comes down to your attention attention is where your attention is your value you know what's what's being fought over in the digital age is human attention not other resources oil or other things that the industrial age cared more about um so it's it's really having students not only learn that that's their value proposition but you know use the mindfulness and the growth mindset and the types of things that it takes to learn how to harness your attention, to deal with complexity, to get the other side of a project-based learning experience where you deliver the product at the end. Um, that is a very complicated, very complex, not just complicated, it's a very complex process. Um, and it requires some skills that, you know, making connections and having an awareness of others and overcoming your own biases and being aware of them and working with feedback and right reflecting and, you know, seeking and evaluating information. These are the types of skills that would come naturally or that do come naturally in these types of classrooms. And these classrooms exist across the country in private schools and consortium schools and schools that aren't asked to teach to the test. They teach to human learning. And so they've been around forever. What we're doing now is making a transcript of those performance-based assessments available so that anybody has access to that type of learning. And they don't have to. They have an option to opt out of standardized thinking and standardized testing to do this type of learning. So instead of taking one AP exam, you would upload a video or audio every month for 10 months during the course. One of the big struggles, Nadav, of all this, and having read your book, is it makes sense to me, but I'm extremely interested in this. And it makes sense to our audience, the Learnovate Center audience, the people who work in education, etc. But it will be a struggle for parents. So 
for example, my son likes to dabble in editing. He makes up these videos. I, it does. They're not even funny to me. But he asks me what I think, and I, I, I always praise his input. And I go, well, you worked really hard on it. It's really good, etc. Now I'd be walking away, kind of going, that's pretty crazy stuff that he created, but. I have to realize first beginner's mind, which is I don't know what it was like to be him at that age. And secondly, that the world has moved on dramatically, including the media and content that we would have consumed in in my day at his age. So I say all that to say, it can be difficult for a parent to look at a child and try to see what would be the benefit in podcasting, what would be the benefit in video editing or creation. And also then to match that to the gig economy, because they're very much from a world, we are from a world that was like, work in a company for 40 years, get a stable pension, etc. And I would have been encouraged for that by my parents, they think I'm a total fruitcake now <laughs> in all directions. <laughs> but, but actually, it's turned out very, very well. And they kind of go, huh, it's interesting. I, I, I wouldn't have thought that. And, and I go, I know, because I'm from a different generation and the world has changed dramatically. But that cycle's happened again. And that's going to be a real challenge. And I wonder, do you have any advice or suggestions or even studies, perhaps, that people can look at to see the value of this? And indeed, the value of this from your own perspective. Yeah. So there's a ton of studies on um, project-based learning and the impacts in there. In, in education, we don't have many conclusive studies, but the studies um, are um, like Edutopia. If you go to Edutopia and search for project-based learning or performance-based assessment, you'll find a ton of great um, studies that they've done showing this. But in terms of your worry that that um, the adults won't get it, I actually challenge that because what your son is doing there is kind of in the Wild West without supervision and kind of the most cutting edge um, work with audio, video and TikTok and all these things that I don't understand myself. In an educational, in an academic context, there's an intergenerational transmission of knowledge happening. Um, and so I'm speaking from experience. 20 years I did this in a, in a classroom and then as a principal of a school. And it turned around the school and we never had a parent that didn't get it. When you actually see the a student producing academic content, academic skills are recognizable to parents, you know, research and um citing evidence and making inferences like they they see their students practicing skills that they recognize as academic on these videos and actually many parents were very proud and they'd never seen their student be so academic because i could take a student who couldn't read or write at the age of 16 and give them a microphone because i knew that be to hide their lack of literacy they were very good at listening and they're very good at asking questions and so on the podcast they were some of the superstars and their parents would would be shocked to hear how academic they were because we would hold them to practicing academic academic skills in their videos and to demonstrating academic skills in the videos. So I think actually our platform is a breath of fresh air for many parents. And I'm just speaking from parents that came to visit my school or school administrators um, that came to visit my school. They didn't know what was going on. We turned around, we got this data that nobody could explain, even on standardized tests, by the way. And when they would come and visit, they would see the magic and feel it when you actually watch the videos that um, these young people produce as academic videos, right? Not as just whatever they're doing on TikTok. Um, it actually for adults is very comforting in a sense because they recognize the academic rigor and they um, and the academic language and they're happy that their young person is actually making the type of media that they recognize that's educational. Um, so it's actually much easier once you see it and have examples and experience it. Um, 
And then, you know, will there be some te- some parents and some people that hold on to standardized testing because it's such a, a neat box that, you know, a game that you can play and make sure your child is at the top of? Um, sure. We are counting on there being an early adopter phase of people that do the that are part of the opt out movement that are opting out to start. And then as we build momentum, um, you know, that that expands. It's, you know, like Uber, any of these platforms, you know, we don't we're just like Uber has no cars or maybe has no hotel rooms. We're a platform that has no schools. Right. We're just the transcript that measures that, you know, that we have these credit experts that evaluate incoming work so we can um, have an equal playing field. And um, so like any of those platforms, there's going to be more people, you know, people that adopt earlier and later. But once you hit a critical tipping point, even the parents will recognize that this is a much more meaningful way of learning. And they, they might even say that they wish they got to learn this way when they were younger. Nadav, big question for you. If you were stuck in an elevator with the entire education system, what would you say? One message for educators. Trust their gut. They know what type of learning works best, and it's time for them to be true to what they know education is supposed to look like. Nadav, for people who want to find you, where can they find out more about your work, about that app that you're developing, etc.? So I have some writing on Medium. Uh, Principle Z um, is my moniker on Medium. So principlez.medium.com. Um, the website, and it, there's a new website coming. The one right now is a lot of words. The new one has a lot of videos and little words, but it's hs.credit for highschool.credit. Um, and if somebody wants to email me, I love talking about this and interacting. And so I um, I respond to emails myself. It's Z, like the last letter of the alphabet, at hs.credit. Z at hs.credit. You can reach me, and I'd love to talk. Um, and you can find me from those links to you know my Twitter or whatever else you want to look at. Nadav, it's always a great pleasure talking to you, author of Education in the Digital Age, How We Get There. Nadav Zemmer, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Next on Inside Learning, it's a great pleasure to welcome the founder of createschool.ie, Peter Baxter. Welcome to the show. Hello and thank you. It's great to have you on the show, man. We've both just listened to that episode with Nadav. It couldn't have paved the way better for what you do in Create School. You've been doing this for a very, very long time. And it must be so refreshing to hear that the education system is eventually catching on to the value of this work. 100% because that wasn't always the case. Sometimes we felt like outsiders. But in the last probably, I don't know, five or ten years, there's definitely been a real shift, very positive shift, you know, and people are seeing the value in one creativity within, say, the classroom and secondly within the role of more non-formal educators coming in as well and how it can work really well within the formal system. So tell us a little bit about Create School and then we'll try and map it a little bit to what we heard there from Nadav. Well, it evolved, really. There was no grand, grand plan and I had moved back to Ireland. I, I'd, uh, I'd started here and ended up, my family emigrated to Australia. So I came back as a bit of a, a bit of a discovery, really, a, a bit of a, a working holiday type effort. And I started getting more and more interested in the area of creativity and doing workshops initially around songwriting, which would be my my first love. But I was also interested in lots of different elements like um, uh, animation. And we were just chatting off air there beforehand about since 2006 and anything around recording Audio is always fascinated by the the potential for that for radio drama and and for uh, documentaries etc. 
And we got an opportunity to start making podcasts commercially in 2006, 2007. And everything that we've done as a commercial entity, we fed back into our education. That was always the primary um, uh, the primary goal of everything we did. We thought, we've, how can we show that like podcasting? I look at it and thought this is a perfect uh, tool for showcasing storytelling in schools. And so we thought, how can we incorporate that? And and we did, and it works. And technology is now caught up with the likes of apps and mobile phones and tablets that it's just so easy. So it's so accessible. It's going to make such a difference when you don't have to think about the tech and the sound quality and all that. AI will take care of all those things. And then you can focus on the creation itself because it's often a barrier for people to enter into these different fields. But I, I'd love to, Peter, talk about the education part because. I, I truly believe that the future of work, we're already seeing this, the shift towards the gig economy where somebody works for several companies at once, that in that world, they need to be their own brand. And one of the great ways to be your own brand, but also to educate yourself on a regular basis is creation, whether that be a YouTube channel or a podcast or whatever. But that starting, as you do with Create School in the education system with children who find their passions like you did with music writing, music creation, etc., is such a great gift to give people at such a young age. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because this links back to what Nadav was saying that you take it beyond the traditional realm of education and how people are judged and help them lean into passions that they may have burgeoning inside them. Well, that's some question. Where would you start? I'll tell you, my experience is that we would work predominantly with fourth, fifth, sixth class in primary schools upwards. And each age group would have its own particular approach. And one of the great things about working with primary school kids is that they are so open. They really are. And there is no barrier. Technology isn't a barrier. There's all these kind of buzz phrases like digital natives and what have you. But Reality is for any child that's now in fourth or sixth class, technology's been there since they were born. Whereas for us who've adopted it in our adulthood, that always, to me, it's always amazing. Uh, we have to think about it, as you were saying there, about the whole concept of AI. That won't be the case. And so they're more approachable. What happens with uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic in secondary schools because very often the technology they're using all the time. The kids are using it at home. First thing they do is they're texting the communication tool, they're texting their pals or whatever. And then we're saying, put that away in school. And you're thinking, well, that's better than most of the technology that are in the schools, their phones. Absolutely. So if there's a way in some schools, we're getting around this with things like acceptable usage policies and, and some of the the policies, uh, communication policies, et cetera. It's, it's an amazing tool. And getting back to what Nadav was saying too, this whole concept of consumer turned creator, and that's really, that's one of the things that we are so passionate about because we sit there all day and we're passively consuming content and thinking, therefore, that they're not always inspired. Sometimes it can be quite intimidating. And what we're trying to do is give young people or anybody actually work a lot in intergenerational projects as well as give people the confidence to say, hang on a minute, your story is valid. Why don't you share that? Or maybe discover, reach out if you're doing a podcast, 
uh, I remember a, a student that was into steampunk uh, in the school in the north, actually, and she'd started up a podcast and started reaching out to other steampunk enthusiasts around the world. And you go, there's a case study. That's brilliant. Like you find you're, you're not confined to your geographic community. You, you can be anywhere in the world. So I, I think that's one of the things if we can be more, how it, like the approach to this probably needs to be more open and somehow to find a way where we're, we, it doesn't even have to be a huge financial financial um, outlay for equipment because I say the kids have got the equipment already, often far better than what the schools have. And uh, not always, but, you know. And so, yeah, is there a way of incorporating, that's a challenge, incorporating the technology w- there and looking at the the issues in and around that last question for you would be if there's an, a successful integration one that you're proud of or one project that you worked with a school it'd be great to give an exemplar for perhaps a principal's listening to this show or somebody in the education system is like on it well how would that work how would we collaborate or create school it'd be great to share that yeah, thank you. Um, we're actually working on two projects at the moment, which are, which are interesting. We've done lots of projects over the over the twenty odd years. Uh, two that are really interesting at the moment. I love the concept of heritage and digital heritage coming into um, into in, into education. And sometimes a project like this, we'd often look for the ICT, uh, the alignment within the curriculum within things like ICT. But very often it's it's so easily so easy to incorporate so something like podcasting with history or or um uh depending on the uh, on on the curriculum of course but like in primary school with myths and fairy tales and in different ways the storytelling essentially and we've done a few we're working on a project in Aaron Moore in County Donegal I'm just back from there last night and that's an interesting project based on a heritage trail it it's an intergenerational project we're using primary school, secondary school students to learn how to use the technology to go within their own community, their family, and capture the stories. And then they bring the stories back and then we'll show them the next step will be how to produce those, add sound effects, add uh, music perhaps, and then to share the stories. So different ways of presenting. That's one. There's another similar project in Loch in the north, uh, looking at the history of townlands and kids so we often the using the children's children to um to be the the ambassadors for a project it's a great way to go within within the local community and uh they can capture the story they're learning the skills of how to do this as well then they can apply it to their own projects afterwards and it's pretty hard to refuse uh a really curious child asking you a question. It's a lot less intimidating than the likes of me sticking a microphone under your nose. So it's a lovely way to capture stories you mightn't capture otherwise. I love it. It must be so rewarding when you see unlocking the potential in a child that could be hidden by the system, their traditional system. And, you know, when you think about where that can lead to in the future, it must be so rewarding. And Peter, for people who want to find you and find out more about Create School, where can they find you? We're online. We're createschool.ie. A lot of our work we are setting up as online courses. That would the hybrid method of learning is really, really something we are embracing. And we find that for a lot of these kind of projects for different learning types as well, it works really well. So it could be a hybrid where we do a workshop in a school, 
with video tutorials to support the learning or to reinforce the learning. Uh, so createschool.ie, and there's links to our on- online courses there. We're on Facebook and Twitter and all kinds of things. But uh, one thing I'd finish with, I'd say that exactly what Nadav said and you said there, it's amazing when you see a child, that spark we call it, you know, that they just have where they've realised, hang on a minute, I've just written a song that's, that's brilliant. <laughs> or created a podcast that I can't wait to go home and share with my friends and family. And it's as good and often better because they don't have the conditioning, say, to understand that conventionally you wouldn't grammatically say that or put those chords next to those chords. It, it, it's amazing. That, that, that look in their eye when that happens is, is brilliant. It's worth it's what we live for. Beautiful, beautiful way to finish. And that is it for another episode of the Inside Learning Podcast brought to you by the Learnovate Centre here in Trinity College, Dublin. I want to thank our guest, founder of createschool.ie, Peter Baxter. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Inside Learning is brought to you by the Learnovate Centre in Trinity College, Dublin. Learnovate is funded by Enterprise Ireland and IDA Ireland. Visit learnovatecentre.org to find out more about our research on the science of learning and the future of work.